The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. The Soapbox on the Hard Shoulder. Yes, it is the soapbox at six, wherein we get the great and good of Irish society into studio to talk about a matter close to their heart. David Quinn is a columnist, of course, with the Sunday Independent. Uh, David, you're welcome back Thank to you. the soapbox. Uh, to talk about the upcoming referendums, um, and you are advocating a no-no vote, is that right? Correct. Why is that? Well, maybe we should split them up, I guess, should we? Yeah. So, yeah. the first referendum concerns the, the uh, definition and concept of the family mm. in the Constitution. And it would uh, it would broaden the definition beyond kind of a family based on marriage mm. to other durable relationships. And you think we should not do that. Why? Well, I mean, the chief reason is that there's massive confusion over what the term durable relationships means. And that's been brought very much to the fore by Senator Michael McDool, who, of course, is a former justice minister and attorney general. And so it can't be easily dismissed by the government. Um, so the concerns he's raising, for example, um, Everybody knows on the day a marriage begins, and if it ends, on the day it ends. So there's complete clarity about what a marriage is, when it, beca- when it comes into existence, and when it ends, if it ends. But a durable relationship is a much more nebulous term. When does it begin? When does it end? Do people even necessarily know they are in one in the sense that, um, uh, you see, like right now, and this is a kind of funny thing for uh, a society that thinks it's liberal to do, a lot of couples cohabit specifically to avoid the legal obligations of marriage. That's exactly what they're trying to do. And they know they're also foregoing some of the rights of marriage by cohabiting. Um, If you create the term durable relationships, and if you listen to the Electoral Commission, um, uh, and you listen to people like Professor Oren Doyle of Trinity College Dublin, um, what they're saying is a durable um, relationship will be something like marriage. And they keep talking about cohabiting couples. Yeah. But does a cohabiting couple want to be in something like marriage? And are they suddenly going to be put into something that more or less against their will, they're specifically trying to avoid marriage, and next thing they know they're in something like marriage, even though they didn't want to be? And I think that's a very, very strange thing for a society to be doing. What are the obligations that they would be trying to avoid that you fear on their behalf might be foisted on them? Well, you see, I mean, if you're living with somebody and you think it's a no-strings-attached relationship, you can simply break up um, without any legal ties to that having been created. So you can't just walk away lightly from a, from a marriage. In fact, you're not allowed to remarry until your first marriage is dissolved and it can't be dissolved until you've taken care of all the legal and financial obligations which, which attach to that. And a lot of people cohabit because they don't want to get into that kind of territory. Um, now, we have something called the Cohabitants, the Cohabitants Act from 2010 that says if you are in a, a cohabiting relationship for five years or more, or two years if there's children, then you do in fact get certain like marriage rights and obligations and you have to opt out. Mm. So it seems to me this will be a step up from there because you're going to say these durable relationships are equivalent constitutionally to marriage. And that might sound like an equality measure, but at a, at a kind of weird level, it's also an anti-family choice measure because you don't want to get married. That's what you're trying to avoid. And the government is going to come along and say, the state is going to come along and say, and the courts maybe come along and say, not so fast. You were in a constitutionally recognised durable relationship, even if you didn't know it. There will be people, though, listening, and they may be thinking of another hypothetical situation whereby a a family unit um, 
uh, and not a family under the 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 the, the uh, definition of the constitution mm. or as it understands it, but a family unit as most of us would. There are kind of parents and there are kids, yeah. and they just don't have the the marriage contract was never there to back it up. Mm. Um, but it is absolutely a, a durable relationship in the absolute sense of the word. You know what I mean? They're, they are not cohabiting just so they can kind of have a no-strings-attached relationship and disappear uh, one day uh, without any of the legal ramifications. And people maybe know uh, situations like that within their own families or within their community, and they think, why shouldn't they have the same protections as others? Uh, well, there's nothing, and and why, yeah. why shouldn't their kids, more importantly, have okay. the same protections as others? Uh, well... I'm just referring back to Professor Aaron Doyle at Trinity College, Dublin constitutional expert. And he says, actually, under the children's rights referendum, which I voted for, by the way, a few years ago, so I'm not always a no voter, um, it gives parents the same rights um, uh, in respect of their children, whether they are married or not. So that is already there in the constitution, thanks to the children's rights um, uh, vote of, I think it was 2012. Um, in respect to cohabiting couples, there's nothing to stop any given cohabiting couple entering into some kind of legal contract if they want by just going to a lawyer and saying, here's what happens if we break up. Because maybe they're, uh, you know, buying a house together. So obviously you have to consider, well, what happens if we split up and what happens to um, the division of property and all that kind of thing. Nothing to stop anybody entering into, into that kind of thing now. But if you create a kind of one-size-fits-all type of durable relationship where everybody is cohabiting, you do seem to begin to eliminate um, being in a no-strings-attached cohabiting relationship. It's almost like a ring has been put on your finger against your will. Now, probably the government will come along and say, that's nonsense and that's not what's going to happen. But the point is, we don't know what's going to happen. You know exactly when a person gets married, you know when the marriage ends, if it ends, but you don't know exactly what a durable relationship so, is. So, so we, it, we, don't know what uh, we don't know what we're voting for. We'll move on to the second um, uh, uh, proposed amendment in just a moment. But, I mean, is, is, is your core concern then just kind of the vagueness of it. Well, that's a core concern, yeah. But I mean, I mean, I'm also, I think as well, that marriage should in fact have a special place. Because you see, like with a marriage, you are explicitly entering into a legal contract in front of witnesses with each other. Um, and in return for this, uh, entering into these legal obligations you can't easily walk away from, you get certain rights. So I think it makes sense to treat marriage in a special way. And I think... By including this thing called durable relationships alongside it, you are making marriage less special, even though marriage involves this public commitment, uh, consciously entering into a legal contract, consciously entering into certain obligations and being given certain rights in return. That's a different thing to simply moving in together. Um, so we will move on to the second referendum. So this proposes uh, deleting an existing part of the Constitution and inserting a new text providing recognition for care provided by family members uh, to each other. Uh, the specific part of this um, recommending is, is a recognition uh, that by her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support with which out, without which the common good cannot be achieved. The women in the home... Um, article, as some people refer it to. So you think that shouldn't be changed either? Well, you see, there's a very important part of it. I'm not sure if you have the full text there in front of you, but it says uh, no mother should be forced out of the home by economic necessity. And that's what's usually left out when uh, this has been reported on. So it looks like <coughs> it's a provision that says a woman's place is in the home. But as people like uh, the former Chief Justice of Ireland, Susan Denham, um, and the current head of the Electoral Commission, who's also in the Supreme Court, Mary Baker, has said it does not say a woman's place is in the home. And the government keeps on saying it says a woman's place is in the home, but it doesn't. So eminent 
female judges have said that's not what it says. But all the time it's been left out as the thing is the aspiration uh, that mothers not be forced out of the home mm. by economic necessity. Now, we can come back to the practical effects of that in a moment. But I think what that article is trying to do is, and by the way, some of the language is archaic, the whole thing about women's duties. Um, so you could have changed this article, but changed it in a different way. Um, you could have retained the aspiration that a parent not be forced out of the home by economic necessity, but that's gone. You could have kept mention of the home, that's gone. You could have, um, uh, as I say, very importantly mentioned the whole thing about not being forced out by economic necessity, that will be gone. Uh, but I think uh, the spirit of it is um, it's trying to give mothers a choice between either going out to work or staying at home with their children if that's what they prefer. And repeated opinion polls, by the way, when they ask mothers of dependent age children, would you rather go out to work mm. or would you rather stay at home? At least two-thirds of mothers say, I would rather stay yeah. at home. But in fact, they're forced out to work. This thing, even though it's mainly aspirational, at least tries to give them the choice of staying at home. And that would they be still have the, cho the choice won't be gone. Uh, well, I mean, like, like... On an individual basis, the choice is still there and the choice is predicated on finances. 99% of the time and that's the, that, that is the reality now and that will still be the reality after. Okay, so two things. Number one is to at least copper fasten in our minds what that um, section of the Constitution, Article 41.2, is trying to do which is to at least try to give mothers a choice of either going out to work or staying at home. I mean, it's clear it has not stopped women going out to work because there's an awful lot of mothers out working um, and have been for years and years and years and years. I mean, it never stopped Susan Denham becoming uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. It never stopped Mary McAleese and Mary Robinson becoming presidents. And this is decades ago. And so on. my grandmother worked in a shop you know, going back years and years and years and years. So it did not stop women going out to work. Mm. It's not connected with the marriage bar, as some people think it is. It's simply not. Um, but, you know, so it has this aspiration. Um, you shouldn't be forced out of the home by economic necessity. Now, in fact, an awful lot of mothers are forced out of the home by economic necessity, yeah. chiefly by the cost of housing and the housing crisis. And who does that come back to? It comes back to the failure of this government to deliver enough houses and the failure, by the way, in fairness, of previous governments. If they wanted to really create a choice for parents between staying at home or having to go out to work, the number one thing to solve is the housing crisis. And what they want to do is take away the one thing in the Constitution that at least tries to create the choice. Yeah, between but tries, and, and I think you would say tries and... and abjectly fails by any well, definition. Um, Justice Brian Walsh uh, back in the 90s also on the Supreme Court said um, because he was actually addressing the point about whether Article 41.2 is purely aspirational and he said actually a problem in Article 41.2 is not enough cases were taken under it. And you see like it's the National Women's Council have they ever launched a campaign on behalf of stay-at-home mothers? I don't ever remember one. All right. Uh, can you ever remember a political party saying, we're going to make it easier for mothers to stay at home if that's what they want, which the great majority do? Okay. I've never heard such a campaign. So nobody actually campaigns on their behalf. And by definition, stay-at-home mothers, they're at home, they're not professional lobbyists. Because if they're mm. professional lobbyists, they're outside the home. So who speaks to them? So they're an extremely silent voice in Ireland, by definition, that almost nobody seems to speak yeah. up for them. So, but I mean, is it, so is it your view that like, like if, if, if this amendment uh, were to fail and if the language were to stay as is, uh, that if a case was taken to the Supreme Court, then the state, what, might be forced to uh, create the circumstances that would allow women or parents to stay at home? It will be extremely difficult, uh, no matter what. And by the way, the same thing for what they want to replace it with. 
because what will the carers amendment it talks about strive to support mm. the care in the home at least it doesn't say home uh, the care in the family so what is, is that going to achieve practically speaking uh, so to a certain extent well, nothing, which I, I assume and again sorry not to cut across it mm. but that's, that's by design uh, government, governments don't actually want no. the Constitution tying their hands. No, but you can't. But also, use... it's also true that the Supreme Court, the days of kind of judicial activism are over. Uh, and they would be very reluctant to tell the government what they have to do policy wise. But you can't use the relative ineffectiveness of the present Article 41.2 as an argument in favour of getting rid of it for another <laughs> ineffective. In something that's <laughs> that's ineffective. Yeah, yeah. But in fact, Article 41.2 has been used in certain cases to affirm certain rights. Uh, again, Michael McDougall has spoken about this. So it's, so it's been used to support alimony payments. It's been used to support certain welfare payments. And it's been also, by the way, used in income tax cases concerning married couples where one stays at home. So it has not actually been a useless article. Um, and Jeffrey Shannon, who is the former advisor to the government on children's rights, said in 2017, I think, um, it can be used to argue in favour of continued maintenance payments because if an ex-husband wants to, wants to reduce maintenance payments to his ex-wife, he said, the ex-wife can argue, if you reduce the maintenance payments, it will force me out of the home by economic necessity. So that's something Jeffrey Shannon, who can't also be easily dismissed given his seniority as a lawyer. David Quinn, columnist with the Sunday Independent, setting out the reasons that he thinks you should vote no-no in the upcoming referendums. David, thank you very much uh, for joining us here. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.